Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe, one of your new co-hosts. And I wanted to take a second here to thank everyone just so much for welcoming me into the PBN community. I, I It has meant the world and I have just so greatly enjoyed being here. And I'm so excited to keep sharing book recommendations and author interviews with y'all. Second, gotta call out the date today. Happy Valentine's Day. If you are celebrating Valentine's Day, hope it is a great one. Now for today's episode, uh, this is my very first author interview and I'm excited to share it with you. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Apologies if I have a few too many nervous laughs in there. But now that I have the first one under my belt, I feel unstoppable. (laughs) So for today's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Kosoko Jackson about his adult own voices queer rom-com title, I'm So Not Over You, which comes out next week on February 22nd from Berkeley Romance. Kosoko and I get to talking about his new title, writing inspiration, and of course, we had to talk about Pokemon. If you want to get a hold of us, you can find us on social. Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok are all at ProBookNerds. Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, or you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And now without any further delay, let's dive into my conversation with Kosoko Jackson. Welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi, hello. My guest today is a vocal champion of diversity in YA literature, is a digital media specialist, and a lover of London Fogs. His writing has been featured in Medium and Thought Catalog, and he's known to have an overwhelming collection of unread books. His debut YA novel, Yesterday is History, is a Junior Library Guild Gold Standard selection, and his new adult rom-com title is available February 22nd, titled I'm So Not Over You. I'm super excited to welcome Kosoko Jack. Jackson. Hi. Hi. So excited to be here. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today. Super glad to have you and uh, excited to get to interview. Before we talk about the book, I have to ask, since you are a lover of London Fogs, what are you drinking right now? What's the liquid situation for our chat? So right now, because I am not getting hydrated enough, according to my doctor, I'm just drinking water, um, which is boring. But also because I was doing some work earlier today, I have not gotten my daily London fog. So I'll be getting it after this. That is totally fair. And, you know, gotta, gotta start with the light stuff. I'm living the TikTok dream, at least as it teaches me. I have three liquids in front of me. Ooh. So I, I think I'm succeeding today. I'm going to put a gold star on today's box. <laughs> So now that I've gotten that out of the way, would you mind telling me about I'm So Not Over You? Sure. So I'm So Not Over You is my debut rom-com coming out, as we mentioned, February 22nd. So um, in about three weeks from then, this interview was done. Um, It stars Kean Andrews, who is a recent graduate of college, who is trying to get a job, as we all are in our early 20s, and is failing dramatically and ends up getting a text from his ex-boyfriend. He believes his ex is texting him to get back together, to have the fairy tale romance of his dreams. But it turns out his ex, Hudson Rivers, who is the heir to the Rivers and Valleys 
uh, brewery down in Georgia actually wants Kian to continue to pretend that they are dating since his parents are coming in from out of town as a favor to him. And if he helps uh, Hudson, he will help Kian get a job at Spotlight, which is basically my fictional version of BuzzFeed, which is Kian's dream job. So the two pretend to be still in madly in love with each other going to Hudson's family dinner. But in a typical rom-com, as a rom-comedy of errors, my agent calls it, the two fall deeper and deeper into the lie when they're forced to fly down to Georgia for one of Hudson's cousin's weddings, which forces them to continue up the charade and to reconcile with their feelings for one another. Rom-comedy of errors. That might honestly be the perfect way to describe it. He said when uh, my agent was like putting together like the deal memo, he was like, I'm going to call it a rom-comedy of errors. How do you feel about this? I'm like, exceptional. Why is this not a thing? Right. Start the genre now because uh, this falls absolutely into that. I want to steal that description, blast it everywhere. Like we need to, that's, that's the next episode. Find all the rom-comedy of errors. <laughs> So I did get the chance to read I'm So Not Over You and talk about a roller coaster of relatable dating emotions. Like, oh, good. I'm glad. I, I jo- have joked a couple times now that I'm the like terminally single member of the podcast. Jill and Emma are both married. They're happy. I'm still out here in these streets swiping. And it's <laughs> nothing has hit me recently the way that that this book hit me in, in too many feelings, oh, but, uh, but I wanted it, it definitely a good thing. I, I felt, I felt seen for sure. Uh, but that's kind of where I wanted to divert a little from the book and ask you what the dating world feels like to you. That is a hard question because I have been happily dating for six, five years. So I have been out of the dating scene for a while now, but I okay. do remember what it was like. Um, the struggles of, trying to find like compatibility. I'm also, mm-hmm. I hail from DC, which is a very specific type of energy. Um, transient city and everyone yeah. is very much trying to be a go-getter and try to one-up everybody. I remember going out to dates when the first question even like, not like, how are you doing is what do you do for a living? Um, which is a little triggering whenever I go out to bars and like hear people say that. Yeah. And I mean, better than what's your investment portfolio, which I would feel is like the second DC question, but still, I mean, yeah, still rough. <laughs> How close are you? How many standard deviations are way are you for my dream job is generally like the next question. Oh. Um, and I fell victim to that. But yeah, the dating scene to me, especially because I do have some single friends, it's hard out here in these streets. And I'm just listening to people. I'm like, oof. I mean, honestly, congrats to you. Been out of the game for six years. We love to hear it. Like that <laughs> I support. <laughs> But well, good. I'm glad to hear it. I will still be the terminally single one. No, you're not. Uh, you're going to find your happily ever after. You know what? You're right. I'm manifesting that. We're, we're going to mark it here now and we will manifest. <laughs> <laughs> so does your personal stance on communicating with exes mirror either Kian or Hudson's or do you relate to I, do you relate to any of your characters that you wrote? That's a good question. So my stance is probably a mix of all of them. I'm was, I am still pretty much like a hopeless romantic. So like when I was mm-hmm. single, I was very much the type that like when Adele's hello came out, I was definitely texting exes. Um, and I will accept that. Um, Fully. And I've always been the one that was like, wait, what if like we just met at the wrong time? What if it's a year later, we can get back together? Um, so I think I reflect some of Kian, like his struggles to not send those text messages is very much reflected in me. But I also consider myself like Alice in Wonderland. I consider myself when Alice, I think the exact quote is, I often give good advice, but I seldom follow it. So when it comes to Divya giving advice about like, 
there's nothing you should be talking about. I'm very much with my girlfriends. Like he didn't uh, like lower the toilet seat, break up with him. Like there's no reason for you to be dating him. Yep. Once again, I feel like I have been reflected and it's time for me to revisit Alice in Wonderland because come on, I give great advice, but I seldom take it. I think if I looked at every text message, it was, you don't need to take this from just some man, get rid of him. But if my ex texted me in three minutes, I'd probably be like, yeah, what what have you been up to? It could be the right time right time maybe maybe this is <laughs> so you, you definitely kind of find yourself blending with a couple of the different characters within the book yeah and I tried to like take facets of my personality and put them into every character so yeah I totally see that they all have a really personal feel to them that when you look at each of these characters individually you go there is there's a human here that has either inspired this person or that you just took part of them and dropped it in and took part of yourself and just like dropped it right on in. So I I really loved that. (laughs) I want to make sure we have a good blend of book, but also fun. So I have to ask, uh, who is your favorite female vocalist? And tell me why it's Beyonce. Oh, my favorite female vocalist. Oh, (laughs) um, plot twist. It's actually not Beyonce. Oh. Um, Um, which is like the Bayhive is going to be knocking at my door in five minutes. Um, <laughs> I am a huge Halsey stan. Like I've seen her four times in concert, three times in concert, one when she was an opening act for Oh Wonder. Like I've yes. seen her a lot. The first time I saw her live was also when she was an opener. And I was like, ooh, look at this up and comer. We got to keep an eye on her. She was opening for Imagine Dragons. Oh, that's I think when I saw her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like she was the opener opener. And I think Metric played after her, which was like, Wow. Oh. <laughs> it was a time. It was a, it was a specific year right there. It's a very specific year. I had to joke about Beyonce though, because as a member of the beehive, uh, maybe not a militant member, I'm, I'm just like a bee out in the field. Sometimes I make it back to the hive. Uh, I greatly appreciated all of just the little, little droplets of Beyonce as we went throughout. Cause it always makes me chuckle. And you know, you know, that person who's in the bar going, I got to talk about Beyonce today. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think there was a time in my life when I was that person, but she hasn't released any good new music. So I have kind of like lapsed on my membership. I agree with that. I was fully, there's a period of time where I feel like an ex would say, you only listen to Beyonce. And now I would say like, I don't know if I could, I mean, every once in a while, we all get like a little tipsy and cry to lemonade, but of course. Uh, that's, that's a specific month of the year. Uh, I think it's August, but. <laughs> <laughs> so throughout the book, we see many of the pains of letting an ex back into your life. And you actually reference this with Kay's conversation with Divya, uh, the you're an idiot. I know, but I have to try. Do you find yourself being the one, I know you kind of mentioned this, but do you find yourself being the one to give these notes or before you were off the market, were you the one constantly saying, I just have to do it, but mom, I love him. Like, was that your journey or, or are you always the tough love friend? No, I'm definitely the but mom, I love him friend. Like uh, I would say many of my friends who knew me beforehand were like, yeah, Kosoku made a lot of mistakes by letting ba- people back into his life, um, which like, that's just, you have to have those people in the world. They're the yin and the yang, positives and the negatives. So I'm definitely that person to the point where it's like, there was a time when my friends were like, snap out of it. Um, So (laughs) yeah. So the wake up call, you know, you never know when it's coming. (laughs) Yeah, the wake up call is usually when the voice says like, stop texting me. 
Does it always come when he says that though? Or is it sometimes like 17 messages later? <laughs> yeah, or like three voicemails later. Like I remember definitely coming from a club. I met a guy outside of a club at a pizza shop. Um, it was like three o'clock in the morning at a gay club. And we exchanged numbers because he said, I like your shoes. And I was like, we are madly in love. And I texted him the mm-hmm. next day. He was like, stop texting me. <laughs> Once again, I have been called out. <laughs> now, have you ever thrown a drink at someone? Never. I've never, I'm not a very violent person. So I wish that I could have done that. Like I'm 30 now. Like it's not cute anymore to do those things. Like Mm. maybe in your early twenties, it's cute and like rebellious, but like now it's like an assault charge. (sighs) 30 is this year for me. I'm, I'm slowly screaming toward it. When is it? Thank you. 1111. Oh, you're also Scorpio. Yep. Yep. (laughs) So I'm, I'm like, do I get one last drink throw in? But I I still don't think it's cute at 29. No. Um, Now have your three thing. Exactly. I have to be like 22 in the club, you know, interrupted my favorite song. Now, have you ever been in the splash zone? Has anyone thrown a drink at you? No one's thrown a drink at me, but, and this is like disgusting because, you know, grungy clubs, especially in college, like those college mm-hmm. clubs, I've definitely had someone spit on somebody in their face and like get the blowback from it. So I've definitely had that. Ooh, literally been in the splash zone. Right, been in the, it was some club with jungle juice in some person's basement someone spit on somebody in a fight broke out I was like I gotta go you said it all with jungle juice wow <laughs> I I officially today I now feel old <laughs> this you is thrown my, back weren't you yeah. my t- <laughs> yes I mean time travel in your debut YA you just did it for me here today <laughs> and I missed some good jungle juice like someone bought me some alcohol and I was like this is too high class mm-hmm. I hate the notion that now I do have to like pick the fancy speakeasy with craft cocktails when where where did the days go where I could drink out of a literal garbage can right it had a liner and everyone put their cup in and they scooped it out and we all got the same diseases exactly although now the thought of communal punch bowl uh, we'll put a ladle in it. We'll just we'll put a ladle in it. The same thing <laughs> Protect us from the road. Like thinking about how we all used to blow on a birthday cake and then eat the cake is disgusting. Right. Now, now my family, we've just been like putting out a good old like Yankee candle and you can blow that out and we'll put the cake in front of you after. That's a good idea. I like that idea. So I have to like toot your horn again, though, uh, with the way that you captured what I like to call the post breakup pain brain. So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to quote you to you. Uh, instead, I concentrate on things like the intro to Star Trek The Next Generation and how Star Trek Discovery pays homage to it, Katie Kirk's journalistic voice, how Hudson's Southern accent becomes more prominent when he's angry, his secret love of Marvel movies, the way his toes curl. I just, I, I officially will be sending this episode to my therapist because I have never been able to describe in words the feeling of when you're walking down the street and you pass by someone who has your ex's cologne on and you've just been thinking like, I'm going to go to the grocery store and pick up X, Y, Z. And then you're crying because it took you back. And that, that way of, that way of just kind of taking yourself down the trail of breadcrumbs, like truly kudos. Thank you for, (laughs) thank you for explaining something that I don't think I could have ever put into words. I appreciate that. And I think that the funniest thing to me is when you read it back to me, which cringeworthy, by the way, I know I wrote those words and they aren't bad, but I was like, Ooh. Um, well, I had to apologize. I'm like, <laughs> I, 
I don't know if I could stomach having my own words read to me. So sorry for that, but the it's listeners fine. needed it's to hear that. But I <laughs> definitely remember watching Star Trek Discovery while writing that scene, which is why it's in there. And I am so far behind that I was like, oh crap, I'm like two seasons behind. Oops. You know, great thing about streaming, it'll always be there. It'll always be there. <laughs> I have so many other shows I need to catch up on, so it'll always be there. A perfect time to ask. I know you are a movie watcher and a binger. What are you binging right now? This is going to probably also get someone knocking at my door, but I'm watching Yellow Jackets. Okay. Uh, and Do you know what it is? No, I don't. So Yellow Jackets is like Lord of the Flies, but with women. And it's uh, five uh-huh. girls. It's like a soccer team that crashes in the Adirondacks or like the mountains in Canada. And they have to survive for 18 months. And it bounces between like what happened while they were out there to the ones that have survived and moved on with their lives. And the fact that someone knows like the horrific things they did in the mountains and like only some of them made it out alive. And it's really, really good. And I like the like. It, this is another thing. I really love dark fiction. Like I am the one that I'm like, if I'm reading a summary of her book and they're like, there's cannibalism. And I'm like, instant buy. Like I want to read. Check that. out. Absolutely. <laughs> like how do I, what, how do you make me sympathetic or like not grossed out by cannibalism? This is a craft discussion. That's how I like justify it in my brain. Absolutely. And there's cannibalism, I think in this, there's like hints of it. So I was like, ooh, but I'm not really enjoying it. Like it's right up my alley and I thought I would love it. That's a bummer because it sounds fantastic that like Donner Party meets Lost kind yeah. of vibe, but bummer. Okay. Okay. Oh, I still might give it a try, but. You should. I mean, everyone on Twitter is loving it and I'm sure like I can tell that I'm not loving it because I've been watching it for three weeks and I've only watched an episode and a half. That'll do it. I right now just binged my way to like the current episode of. I think it's called The Servant. It's M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, yeah. It starts with like fake baby, but then the nanny's got weird powers and it turns it into a real baby. Okay, so there's a call. Because I saw (laughs) like season three and I was like, this baby was fake in season one. This, uh, to be fair, the baby was fake in season one for like three episodes. And then all of a sudden it's crying and I'm like, It's a a wild ride because like he's finally like made a a project where you feel like his old energy is back. So it's like a Shyamalan worth watching again. But also we have like these characters that you want to hate Mm -hmm. because they're, they all feel completely unredeemable. And yet on the flip side, we now sympathize, sympathize with all of them. So I don't know if it like hit me in the right moment or if it is that good, but it's also short. So yeah, I watched the first episode when it, when like the Apple TV buzz, when we had like eight shows that came out and yes. it didn't grip me, but maybe I'll go back to it. I think it's the same thing as yellow jackets. Maybe not for everyone, but if it hits you right, go for I'm it. I'm sure halfway through, I'm going to be like, this is the best show on TV. Like I'm obsessed with it. I know the first episode I finished and I was like, because I, I do this, I do this with shows, I do this with books, I'll put in like the investment for that first episode, and then one thing goes wrong, and you're like, maybe this just isn't the one for me, and you'll have all your friends who recommended it say, you have to get through the first season, I'm like, that's too much commitment. That, that's I, that, could be 12 episodes. that could be six hours of my life. That could be a whole month of just nonsense, I'm good, um, 
but part of what I related to when I was looking at some of your different bios online was, as I mentioned, the stacks of unread books. Is that still your truth? Because I will do the same thing that I do with TV shows with books. Like I have a book that I was reading in the first grade that I didn't finish with a chapter left that I moved into my house with me that I still haven't finished. That was a little different. I just couldn't imagine a world where the story ended, but do, do you do anything like that? Do you still live with just the stacks of to be reds around the home? What's the, what's the book said? I think the best way to answer that is I just did my taxes for last year and I sure are a write-off for an author. So I use them as a tax write-off. I bought $2,500 worth of books last year. So <laughs> I maybe read two of them. That feels right. <laughs> this, this podcast has forced me to remember my college skills of like speed reading and really great skimming uh but two out of twenty five hundred dollars worth that seems accurate it's so i was like this can't be right i had to double check my amazon i was like nope nope (laughs) this is right and that's just the amazon books that's not the barnes noble the indie books oh the pain the pain of that how often so I'm assuming bookshelves is the situation, correct? They, so they live on shelves. Two months ago, um, so oh, all my, my apologies. Kind of, yeah, they're kind of just piled in like a hodgepodge of a semblance <laughs> of a stack. When I bought my house and moved in, I built a library into one of the bedrooms. So sorry to the resale value, but I'm not planning on going anywhere. Uh, so there's just like shelves living on the walls and all of the books from my my whole life are beautifully displayed. And then if you like look at the different tables in there, the little end tables, you've just got like rickety stacks of I need to read all of these. And I think during the pandemic was when I came to terms with I could shelve all these and make it like an actual librarian. One day I'll have to go. I'm finally ready for you. So I like to see if other people can relate to that at all. (laughs) (laughs) So this is, this is a fun one to ask and I'll ask it delicately. Uh, You've described online and then also in the book, I feel like characters describing themselves as a lot, feeling like a lot. And do you find that you like, that this has shaped your life or your characters do you find yourself writing characters that are a lot? <laughs> is it a way to like get out the emotions or energies you're feeling? Is that is is writing characters like that an outlet for you? Or do you find yourself in a place where, no, my characters are like that. I don't relate to that at all. That's actually a good question. Um, so there's Thank probably you. a two-part answer to that. One, uh, my my boyfriend always reads my work, which is very, very sweet because like significant others don't have to read your work. Um, he usually reads drafts. And he's like, I hate your your main characters. They're always bitches. And, they're, and I'm like, that's fair. Like I write bitchy main characters. I write sassy main characters, which is even in my YA. Um, and so I think I write them as a way to like show representation, like authentic representation of queer characters and queer people. There are very few, um, and I think queer people come in like a, are not a monolith of course, but there are very few queer people that I know that do not have a level of sass to them. And I think that's partially because of our culture, part of it is a self-defense mechanism. And so I try to include that in the book to be authentic. I don't want my books to be read like a book written 
simply to appease what people think queer people are. I want to write as authentic a queer experience as possible, which to me means that sometimes these characters are a lot because queer people go through a lot and a lot of our emotions and our feelings are represented by the fact that like we haven't had as many love experiences that are positive as our straight counterparts. The flip side of that is that like these characters do come off as sometimes being bitchy as being a lot as not following traditional rom-com tropes because I don't think that you can just take a queer a rom-com and just put queer on it and have the same beats that like a straight relationship would have. Absolutely. Uh, as a as a member of the queer community myself, it, it it's so true to see those. I, I say that like my my backdrop doesn't give me away, but this is a podcast. Right, isn't that Trixie and Katya in the background? It's it's Trixie and Katya, uh, and then it's Trixie and Katya on carousel horses, and then Orville Peck. Like I, I've got it pretty well covered. But as a member of the community, it it is so true, and seeing the levels built into characters that like yes, sometimes it is. Um, the the trope or the the caricature of one facet of us but I mean you said it beautifully the idea of it's a defense mechanism a lot of times I feel comfortable in this conversation we're having here and now so I'm gonna lean a little more into the like I'm gonna have fun I'm gonna laugh and my personality is going to shine in the loud way but when I'm in the office space still loud (laughs) but it's uh, yeah right if uh, once again for the listeners I have a yellow sweater on with a cheetah shirt underneath so I mean like the loud is always there uh but it, it just it kind of has those levels it has those valleys and it's great to see that that beautiful representation and showing off that there is so much to us and I also appreciate that that mold breaking of yes I'm writing a rom com. Uh, and yes, it is a queer rom-com, but I'm not going to take my my community, my people, and mash them into the existing kind of like cookie cutter. It it truly felt like an authentic experience, but also like fun, lighthearted, you know, to, to give the book more praise. Just like it was a, a beautiful way to like start off my February, to get ready for Valentine's Day. And, and really just feel that that energy. Oh, well, and that truly means a lot considering it's my first rom-com, so I really appreciate that. It, it hits the marks. Now, be glad you have me. I don't have the, the breadth of romance knowledge that my co-hosts Jill and Emma have. They are. Jill writes romance. Emma is a reader of romance, so they might have had they might have had notes, but <laughs> they might have been like, "This is the horrible rom com. Why did you write it? Please throw no. it off the bridge." No, they would fully they would have loved it, but they would have had the references that I don't have to to compare it to, uh, because I think it stands alone. I think it's just a beautiful piece. So I read online that you recall writing stories in the early 2000s, you know, some of your earliest works kind of back then as you were expressing yourself, finding that creative spirit. And I wanted to ask if you've looked back on those writings recently, or if you've looked back on them in the last like chunk of time here. I haven't because part of them were written on laptops that like I don't own anymore. I'm like, I still remember them vividly. Uh, You would never forget your first novel, Um, but I have not read them and I probably would never read them because I'm sure they were very, very bad. I, I loved, I loved reading that because there's just that beautiful element of seeing the moment where you sparked the, the writing joy and translating that into just years worth of, of writing and impassioned work. 
Now, uh, as we come up on the end of my time, my questions, all of that here, I wanted to hit us with some more fun fluff questions. Sure. Uh, what are you reading right now? That's never a fluff question for an author. Um, it's never a fluff question for any of us, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a little departure from where we've been. <laughs> I am reading... I had to walk over and get it. I was going to uh, say, he's on the move right now. <laughs> Leaf on Love by Fallon Bollard. Okay. Um, it's another rom-com. It just came out February 1st. So there's my plug for her. Um, and it's about a teacher who loses her job. And so in a drunken stupor, she logs onto a dating site that she thinks is a dating site to hook up with somebody. But it's actually a roommate-based site. So she gets a roommate instead of a fuck buddy. Or a roommate Love and that. a fuck buddy. I haven't gotten that far yet. Okay, that we love to see it. Um, oh wow, <laughs> that that is the perfect combo. I I love when it's roommates to lovers, or maybe not. We'll find out when we read it. <laughs> we'll find out. What app on your phone gets the most use? It's not an app, but I am Wordle obsessed. Like I'm obsessed <gasps> with Wordle. Um, an unhealthy. It's, I need someone to teach me. <laughs> <laughs> you it's you hey, just I, have five letters i say that more as like i see them pop up on my feed but i haven't tried it yet because <laughs> i i don't I, do i need a new obsession though i'm still playing the the drag race app who knows why <laughs> it only takes like five minutes of your day and then it's done you're right and it is only one word a day okay i'll commit to that now i'll try wordle <laughs> and then i guess the app is like tiktok and twitter are probably my most obsessive apps yeah, that's that's what the one, those are the ones my phone yells at me about too. Yeah, my phone will be like, you have spent 30% higher time on your phone this week. And I'm like, mind your business. Here's your screen report. Uh, right. Why are you on TikTok so much? Are you 13? Uh, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> so speaking of Twitter, Twitter told me we both have the, fa- the same favorite Pokemon. Starmie? Uh, Star- Starmie, absolutely. No one appreciates <laughs> her. She's exceptional. She's flawless. No one. She is perfect. She is serving. She's got her gems. She's sparkling. She spins in multiple directions at the same time. Every game I buy, I'm like, my first question I Google is, how do I get a Starmie? How do I get Starmie? Can I get Starmie? How quickly will she be in my party? Right. And they're like, you have to be like the eighth gym lead. I'm like, well, that's the end of the game. What is the point? Why did I buy this? I will determine which game I buy based on how early I can get a Starmie. Fully based on availability. Yeah. Um, have you, and are you planning, if you haven't played yet, going to try out Legends Arceus? Uh, it's actually being, so I bought it on Friday and I was like in New Jersey and I was like, Hmm. And then like my target app was like, there's only two left in all of New Jersey. I was like, well, I guess I have to buy it. Like, I guess I just have to. So it should be no other option. (laughs) Well, have so much fun Uh, as a longtime Pokemon game player. It's great. it's, it's actually fantastic. It okay. is so different from everything of the past. And I was, I think the most thing I was nervous about was the storyline being like, we're going to go into the past, but the way they handle it, beautiful. It, it, for me, kind of saved the element of us heading into feudal Pokemon times. Right. I've heard <laughs> it's very different than any Pokemon game like that's ever been made. Completely. But I've heard people love it. It's super fun. Uh, so recommend. <laughs> but if you had to pick Pokemon, and I'm like, why are they so big? And they stay that big. If you catch them and you use them, they will be giant. They'll be taller than you. <laughs> like 
I saw it's, like an alpha blissy and I was like, this thing is huge. Uh-huh. My friend caught an alpha parasect and gave it to like the NPC who wanted one. And he puts it in his house and it is the size of the house. So <laughs> hilarity ensues. Okay. I'm excited. <laughs> it looks like it's going to be a wild ride. It'll be great. But so if Starmie is our first favorite, who is your second favorite Pokemon? Mm. Who's the next one you got to have? Probably a Gengar. I'm very Gen 1. I love that. <laughs> I'm very Gen 1. I'm, I'm with you. I, I played all of them, but my loyalties always kind of go back to Gen 1. But I, I feel like my answer is probably Togepi. And did I just want to be Misty as a kid? Perhaps. That's a fair one. Like a Togepi, I mean, it, it looks ugly when it becomes a Togetic. And then Togekiss huh? is kind of cute. But Togetic looks hideous. So it's a weird cycle there. Right. That long neck, um, like, ill. What is happening? Right. Are you okay? <laughs> right. Uh, and then like Gen 3, shout out to Blaziken. But it's the the That's stage it. of getting through the first two to get, get to them. So, <laughs> so Game Freak is not paying us to talk about Pokemon. So okay. I should probably like flip back around to you. Uh, before we wrap up, is there anything you'd like readers to take away from this title? What's your vision? What do you want to share? Hmm. I think if I want readers to take away one thing that like this is like a very it's a rom-com but it deals with some heavy topics like I talk about race I talk about class difference I talk about money a lot um, and I think that there is room in our rom-com space for light rom-coms that are still funny but like can still talk about heavy lifting things so I think if you like your very very fluffy kind of like low stakes rom-com I think that appeals to this but I think you should also know going into this there are some heavy talks especially for white readers about like being black in America and also being like queer in America so I just don't want people to be like is this a social justice book because I think queerness and blackness are so intertwined with every queer black person or just every queer person that I couldn't take that out and have an authentic book I think that is a a perfect takeaway um as a as a white person reading it I, I love to find perspectives from people other than myself. I don't want to just know what I know. I want to be learning at every opportunity. So even when I am going for a fluffy rom-com or, a, you know, a mystery thriller, if there is an opportunity to even sneak in a message. But I, I mean, the idea of generational wealth being presented in this book, income disparities just between partners, and uh, there are so many at high level kind of social justice messages, but also so many ways that you can still relate that into your own life. I have been in situations where I am the partner with less money or I am the partner with more money, just depending on age and time. And it makes a difference. And that is, you see that throughout, you see the, the ways that, like you said at the beginning, his ex has the ability to offer him his dream job at, you know, fake BuzzFeed and, and like that kind of power to take what you want also presents a really interesting dynamic in the journey. Exactly. I think I'm working on edits for rom-com too right now. They're actually due next week. Um, and it's probably like my least social justice book. And it's like not a bad thing, but it's just like a weird difference. Definitely. It, I could see that being a, a, a wild shift, especially because that's part of what you're always focusing on championing diversity, but I, I can only imagine that it'll be just as beautiful as this piece. So excited fingers to hear crossed. there's more coming. Yeah, it's coming yes. out. I think fingers crossed. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, before I let you go, 
Is there anything you'd like to promote? I believe you have some, do you have two titles coming in March? So I, just the sigh of uh, <laughs> resignation. So uh, I'm so not over you comes out February 22nd. You can buy it anywhere. Um, if you go to my website, kazokajackson.com, you can get signed pre-orders from my indie, which is loyalty bookstore. And then March 29th, my second YA comes out, Survive the Dome, which is about an impenetrable dome that surrounds Baltimore and teens that are like very anti-police. It's an ACAB book. Um, and so, yeah, that comes out February, March 29th. I have no doubt that just from what I read online that 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 is going to be on my uh, March books to look out for recommendation list because uh, between looking at what you had to say about this book and what was upcoming, I was like, ooh, there's there's great stuff coming down the pipe. I need a break. <laughs> I need a break. I'm tired. <laughs> that, I bet. <laughs> and then uh, tell our friends at home where they can find you online, social media, sure. websites, all that. Give us a plug. Everything is Kasoka Jackson. So K-O-S-O-K-O-J-A-C-K-S-O-N. Um, KasokaJackson.com, Kasoka Jackson on Twitter, Kasoka Jackson on Instagram. It's very easy to have a unique name. Kosoko, thank you so much for joining me today. It really was a pleasure. And thank you for telling me about I'm So Not Over You. Thanks for having me. And friends, remember you can find this book on February 22nd within the Libby app from your local public library. Once again, Kosoko, thank you so much for being here. And of course, everyone at home, happy reading. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Jill Grunenwald and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the paper nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, the paper fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.